0: Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. We want to start off in prayer. So I'm going to invite you, to just bow your hearts before the Lord as we just start our time together in prayer. So valuable. We're preaching on prayer. I think we need to start with prayer, don't you? So Father in Heaven, we just give you thanks for this day. We honor you we are your children. We are the sheep of your pasture. You're our great shepherd, and we have come to sit at your feet now. As we open up the word, Lord, I pray it not be a a, a homily from man, but it be a word from the Lord. So Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to receive what you want to, to plant in us today. We ask this of you, making ourselves available to you in the powerful and almighty name of Jesus Christ, our God. And everyone said, amen. I thank you again, Dylan, for reading Philippians. We're going to talk more about that particular passage Wednesday night. Join me Wednesday night at seven o'clock. You can do that by just emailing or contacting the church, asking for an invite. You'll be invited to join us at that point in time prayer. And the we're coming towards the final stretches of a bit of a mini-series within the big series, the big series of doing life together. The mini-series has been on prayer. And today, specifically, a, a taste for God's Word. A taste for God's Word. And we need to develop a taste for what His Word says, and out of that flows the power of prayer. And, Jesus' disciples observed something with Jesus, that his power came from when he was in, privates, in private moments with his heavenly father. And so the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us that kind of praying. And Jesus would teach them. And really the scriptures are, uh, it, it's a book of helping us to understand how we can bridge the gap between us and our heavenly father. We've been talking a bit about that. I invite you again, if you go to our website, I have, it's under sermons, under straight talk, spiritual warfare, a podcast that is supplementary to what we're sharing here today. We've already talked about prayer. We've had the Lord's Prayer, the hindrances of prayer. We started with the hindrance of sin and end it with the hindrance of stinginess. And there's nine more in between. Make sure when we enter into God's presence that we don't have a blockage. Why? Why would we go ahead if we if there's a blockage? And he talks a lot about he can't hear your prayer if we have 11 things listed. Today, I want to really address a couple of things when it comes to prayer. And the first one has to do with, I don't know if you can see this. I'll put it up close. Faith. There's two things I'm going to be talking, and, and one is prayer, one is faith but i want to talk a moment about faith this morning because if when we pray it's not the words that matter words are important when we pray it's not um a bunch of people saying things it's not our requests prayer has to be in the seedbed of faith So I wanted to take a moment, I'm just stepping, I I had actually put all this together and it was right at the end of the week and I thought, you know, we need to talk about faith here because faith is the seedbed by which prayer becomes effective. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance in what we do not see. Now note in this two things, confidence and assurance. I want to break this down for you. Two aspects, but these two are unique and essential. Another translation would say, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, this was written in the first century when the Jews of that century did everything by works. All their religious activities were by works. They did what had to be done in order to earn favor with God. So faith was not really something that was not, like you had to, you had to go through your ceremonies. You had to have the sacrifices. You had to perform in order to receive. So this becomes quite revolutionary when all of a sudden the writer to the Hebrews says, now faith is confidence in what you hope for. Assurance, you can't actually see it. So he's saying it's not all about your work. Now works is a part, but it's not about your works. Faith is separate from works. The first part here is faith is confidence. The word confidence means absolute confidence. It's not just a hope, and sometimes we've translated it, it's a hope, but it's a confidence. It's meant to be seen in the present tense. To take God at his word and that it's present right now it's the kind of faith that actually in your spirit you can see it right now it's not just well i hope for it you know i i hope when i sit on this chair it might hold me no it you believe that you believe you throw your whole weight upon it it's that kind of confidence that we're speaking of and it's the confidence and it really speaks of an inner confidence it's the picture you have when you have moses who had the promise of the promised land And yet, while he was walking around and moving around in the desert and the wilderness, before Moses, he could see the promised land. It was not one day for him. It was like he was living it every single day. That's the confidence he had. The faith he had was not maybe one day, but today I live in the confidence of the promised land. We see it in the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel, that they had a choice, fear God or fear man. Well, they chose to put their fear in God. They chose to follow God, obey God. And they would reap the repercussions of that. And yet when they did it, it was just as if they saw Jesus right there with them. We actually get a glimpse of that. You'll have to love the story when they are in the fiery furnace and God allows everyone else for that moment just to have a glimpse of what they had been seeing all along, that Jesus was with them. Faith is not something simply abstract. It's not simply a vain hope. The first part, the inner confidence, is as if you can just see it. But then the second part, faith is the assurance. And when it talks about the assurance, the assurance or conviction implies requires a response. It's an outward manifestation. So if you get at this, here's faith. Faith is an inward conviction. I can see it. And it's an outward manifestation. Because I see it, I now do something about it. It's one thing to talk about faith. But it's another thing to take action on faith alone, even though you haven't seen it, but you start to take action. That is, are the two components of faith. Inward conviction, outward manifestation. You begin to just believe it. And then illustration is Noah, who had a promise of a flood, rain and flood neither of which he had ever seen in his entire life. And, I mean, you need rain to have the flood. And so Noah, for over 100 years, began to build this massive ship, outward manifestation. Easy to have talked him out of that, you would think, in 100 years, right? But he outwardly manifests his inner convictions. So that is the faith component. Now, here's why it's important, because we are, we are living in a postmodern era. And the postmodern era has now fully grasped, our society has grasped what we call relativism. And this is something that is in direct contrast to faith. Francis Schaeffer, 20th century theologian philosopher, said this, Throughout virtually all of history, mankind has unified field of knowledge. We understood He was saying through virtually all of history. We understood the supernatural, human history, science, ethics, economics, everything was within the framework of reference. These areas were all a part of our total reality. But then a movement came driven by the philosophy of relativism. And so we talk about that. And I need to mention this because this is a direct contrast. So I want you to, I think you might have a bit of an aha as you go through some of these. First of all, in art, we see relativism in art. Before postmodernism, art was realistic, flowing out of what people saw and experienced. Out of life's experience, art flowed out of. After relativism, it became abstract art. It's whatever you want it to say. Let's talk about music. Music's another illustration. Music used to reflect the times the people lived in. They reflected decisions. They reflected the government. They reflected life, cultures. Then in relativism, postmodern era, music began to be extremely subjective imaginative, and contentless. It no longer had to say anything. It just had to cry out for for that which is meaningless. We move into the area of literature, and we see that relativism played out today in literature. Writers back years ago and movie producers would use their skills, and they would portray in their literature and in their movies, the early movies, Moral and spiritual culture, they talk about things like love and honesty and truth and purity and sacredness and what is right. That was what drove literature. That's what drove the early movie industry. Now, if you go back and read literature, literature that goes back decades ago, I would suggest even generations, you will see that. So blatant literature. If you even go back to some of the early movies and And Laurie and I have done this. We've gone back to watch the things that maybe are in the 60s. And they always had a theme of honesty, be honest, of of themes like uh, dealing with conflict, dealing with what is right and what is wrong, dealing with friendships and being a good friend. They had these moral themes that drove each session. Now we step into postmodernism, the day in which we live in. This has been going on for decades now. In our relativistic society, now the movie and literature industry is no longer driven by absolutes or that which is right and wrong. It's about escapism. It is portraying witchcraft, astrology, occultism, cults, anything to escape, to move into limits, outer limits that that are compelling. But when you're done, it's why you have to often watch movies when they're done it's like well i really don't understand what the point of any of that was well there wasn't a point that was the point there was no point because whatever you want it to be it can be your point point. and i've challenged the younger generation and, and maybe even the older generation that when we read scripture be careful when we read scripture we don't say here's what this passage means simply to me because scripture is meant to be interpreted literally So whether you see it one way or another, it is meant only one way. Scripture interprets Scripture. But what happens is we begin to now twist it, move it, and say, well, and I've had people come and say, well, that was an interesting opinion on that Scripture. And I might have gotten some things wrong. But that is deeply disturbing because it's not about my opinion on the Scripture. It is about what did that Scripture tell us to do? And then we conform our lives in adherence to that Scripture. Science is another issue in regard to, uh, science was, has moved into postmodernism and relativism into merely uh, that which is observable, measurable, repeatable. And yet a number of secular renowned scientists in today's time are actually calling for science to reconsider things that are outside man's scope of knowledge and investigation to realize there's more than what we can simply see, touch, taste, and all that kind of stuff. Theology has likewise been the same thing. And we see in theology that that, um, we have a God, we know God is a good God. He's a righteous God. But in theology, we've moved him to a God who may or may not be good. He may or may not be righteous. We have to be very careful with that. And so faith will be diluted if we cannot put it against the context of absolutes. So let's move on to the topic of prayer. And I want to talk today coming from the an experience that happened two years ago. I was at a conference at the Queensway Church, Toronto. Jim Cimbala, pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City, was speaking. And he made passing reference to an acronym that he often uses in times of prayer. I no indication he's restricted to it, but he says he often uses it. And it's the word ACTS, A C T S. Now I've heard it used and I knew what the acronym stood for, but I thought that when we began this topic of prayer, I would spend a bit of time because I really think it works well. I want to give it to you. We've already talked about prayer's hindrances, but let's talk about how we move forward in prayer. So before we do anything, the first thing that I think is so important is pre-prayer, become silent. Now, it doesn't mean every time you go to prayer, you have to have this moment of silence. I'm not saying that. But when you pray, specifically when you are praying privately, I encourage you. I think there's so many uh, texts that call us to just pause before falling into your petitions, just give moments of pause. Quiet yourself. Isaiah 26, verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Now, note in this particular verse, perfect peace. The word peace is the word shalom. Shalom peace. But here's what the word shalom actually means. It means actually here, the peace that is more than enough, not just a absence of conflict, not just a truce, but more than enough. It means actually an abundance, an abounding of prosperity. Therefore, before you pray, recognize that God is abounding in more than you could ever receive. He's abounding. The shalom, where that, that text says, keep in perfect peace, means keep in overflowing, abounding more than enough ability to what you're about to do. The reality is is when you're about to enter into prayer, most of us struggle with that very thing because we have just been very feet planted on this earth doing stuff around here and then we go to prayer and it's hard to get out of this world, pause so that the perfect peace begins to rise up because him who is more than enough begins to rise up inside. I was sharing about the need to pause uh, a week ago in my Doing Life Together study on Wednesday night. And one of the people who were on that Zoom contacted me the next day and said they practiced it that morning. They had a group of people gather in prayer. And so they in in her situation, she actually just paused, gave pause, didn't just rush into praying. And she said during that pause time, God began to reveal things one after another. And when she prayed, she re. She, it's like she hit the target. And immediately there were responses because of that prayer, but it required that pause. And I thought that was a great illustration, that just give pause, the pre-prayer pause. Be careful about rushing in, because often we start going into things and we're just rushing and rushing and rushing, and it becomes frivolous in our praying. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Those have to come together. So let's look at the acronym ACTS. A, what do you think A stands for? Come on. Some of you know it. A stands for, give it a shot. Adoration. Thank you. (laughs) Adoration. So adoration. Let's talk about adoration. Actually, it's the very first part of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Adoration, holy is your name. When we start into prayer, start in the place of adoration. It's praise, but it's the praise of adoration. And I'm a strong proponent of this. I'm a strong proponent that when we worship, we don't start into worship. You'll notice today when we had our worship time, uh, grace on top of grace. That's a song of adoration and praise. We didn't start asking God for anything. We started just honoring him and praising him and exalting him. Often they're a little bit more up-temple, because we have to kind of get out of the moment to get into his moment. And so let's just start praising him. Let's get up closer to him, because that makes all the difference when it comes to our prayer time. We got to get close to him. We got to behold him. And so adoration moves us into the place of beholding him. See, you ask the question, well, how do I do that? Well, the book of Psalms is the perfect book for it. It's got 150 chapters, most of them chapters of praise psalms is all about It psalms comes from the word hallelujah halla halla the praise and so it's the book of praise the hallelujah praise praise to god let's do this let's try this out so let's go to psalms 95 let's do this together so let's read psalms 95 ready so come let us sing for joy to the lord let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountains and the mountain peaks belong to him. The seas, the sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Okay, let's go back to the first Let's just break this down. Do you see how this is a psalm of adoration? This is a fairly typical psalm. So the call, uh, joy to the Lord. We shout, note this, didn't ask if you felt like shouting. It didn't ask if you're excited. It didn't ask if you're mad. Sometimes you shout only when you're mad. It didn't ask any of that. It didn't actually ask anything about your feelings. Just told you to start shouting to the Lord. Wonder how that goes. Uh, I, I actually did that last night. I was having a time of prayer and I just started shouting about, I thought, okay, oh, I got to cut back. I'll be, I'll be hoarse today. Um, shout to the Lord. Here's, here, adoration. He's my rock, the rock of my salvation. So when I adore him, you're the rock of my salvation. Let's keep going with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song for the Lord is great God. Another adoration. God, you're a great God. Continue on. Great king. You're a great king. You are above all gods. Go to the next one. In his hands are the depths. Adoration. In your hands are the depths of the sea. In your hands hold the peaks of the mountains. In your hands you hold the sea. The hands form the dry ground. And therefore the response. So come let us bow down in worship. It's a call to one another. Let us kneel before. Here's another one adoration. Lord, you're the Lord, my maker. You go through the Psalms and you can find endless pieces of adoration. I encourage you to do this. Here's a challenge. When you read the Psalms, and I read the Psalms fairly regularly because, again, it's my, it's my place of praise and worship, and I've marked them. I will circle them or underline them. I will put them on a list, words of adoration that flow out of the Psalms, and many times you will start to hear yourself Adoring God by saying things like, You are powerful. You are great. You are awesome. You are wonderful. You are matchless and magnificent. You are omnipotent. You will begin to make statements like, You are my counselor. You are my everything. You're perfect. You're abiding. You're all powerful. You're eternal. You're above everything. You are all wise. We could just keep going. Okay, there's no end of this one. Adoration. When we start, let's pause, let God take the place of the supreme moment, silence, you know uh, be still and know that I am God. and then begin to speak of who He is. You haven't asked a thing. Just begin to adore him. This is not Thanksgiving. don't thank him for things yet. We're getting to that. Just adore him for who he is and just, and it doesn't matter how you feel because he is who he is. He is the great I am. So adore him. So make that your first A. Now let's go to the next one. It's the letter C. What do you think that is? Confession. There it is. Confession. <laughs> so, confession. Now, let me start into this. Frequently, when people think of confession, they start confessing things like this. <laughs> Lord, last night I watched a show and there was a bad scene in it. And I know I should have turned my head. I know I should have turned it off and walked away. God, God, I know, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it. Now, meanwhile, we plan to watch it again the next night. Okay? Right, you know? Um, Lord, um, bad word came out of my mouth yesterday. I shouldn't have man. I'm trying to get control. Sorry about that bad word. And I'm not mocking these things, maybe a little bit. Um, or we could we might be saying, uh, maybe you know, we raised our voice at our children when we shouldn't have, or our spouse when we shouldn't have, or We talked about somebody on the phone to someone we shouldn't have. And those typically are our confessions. We confess, God, I didn't go to devotions yesterday, the day before, the day before. I'm sorry about that. But here's the thing. Confessions on that basis, frequently we're back into the same problem tomorrow, the day after, the day after. The Bible says God can't be mocked. And and I'm going to suggest this. (coughs) Listen to this. I think the enemy of your soul loves it when we make those kind of confessions and don't really mean it because it callouses your heart to thinking that maybe you actually have done some good when you simply go back to it again and the enemy doesn't really care how much you confess what he cares is if your life is transformed and when we keep making confessions of the things we've said or done, and those are important but not like that the word confession actually means here confession means agreeing with god about what he says to you and about you it's a change of heart. When you only agree with God, and and actually agreeing, okay, let's go back to it. confession means agreeing with God, what he says to you, what he says about you. You can only agree with God if you first heard him first. Think about it. I can't agree with anybody if I don't know what the agreement is. So if I haven't heard from God, I don't know what to agree. If I'm simply going to my confessional booth, and confessing things that I'm not sincerely sincere about, then I haven't agreed with anything. So I have to, first of all, God, what are you showing me? I'm going to suggest that when you've gone into your time of a moment of quietness, then adoration before God, and spend some time in the place of adoration, in that place, God will begin, what happens is you start getting close to God. And he begins to, his radiance, his light begins to show you things in your life. And he begins to show things about you, about what's going on. And you need to come into agreement with those things. And when he begins to show you, you need to say, God, you just showed me my attitude. And God, you're right. And I'm wrong. And so I get rid of that. I cast that away. And you agree with God confession is agreeing with what God is saying to you. That's the point. Confession is agreeing with what God is showing you. See, that's the Holy Spirit revealing. You won't defeat those things if the Holy Spirit doesn't reveal it. And if it's simply mock confession, you're going to go back to it anyway. And then you feel guilty and shame and all that stuff. And it's a cycle that the enemy loves to keep us in. So we confess what God shows us from the heart. It's emotional. It's from the, it's from the inner being. And we begin to confess and we call out to God the confession. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, if we stop that verse prematurely, if we say, if we confess our sins and he is faithful and just, he will forgive us of our sins. Often we stop right there. I've done that on occasion. Just stop right there. Ah, no, no, no. You got to finish this one and purify us from all unrighteousness the purpose of confession is the purpose of righteousness he wants to make us righteous a position of authority in righteous so confession is not telling God the story all the plan to maybe go back and do it again it's agreeing with God and doing what he asked you to do confession is God whatever it takes I'll purify I agree with you, God. So you come quickly into agreement. Now let's use an illustration. Let's go to Psalms 51. Here the story of David has sinned against God with the adultery with Bathsheba. And David cries out. Here's his prayer. Follow this. Against you, David's praying. Who's he praying? To the Father. Against you and you only. Have I sinned? Let's do that again. Against you. Now he sinned against Bathsheba's husband. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against himself. He sinned against an entire nation. He sinned against a lot of people. But what does he pray? Watch it. Against you. This is why God said David had a heart after him. I sinned against you, God. I sinned against you. Too many times our confessions are around, you know, it's kind of like when when you've you've maybe you're a boss you're a manager someone's done something wrong against someone else and you tell them hey you need to go and ask for forgiveness you need to go and make it right so a person goes and says okay i'm sorry you know i did wrong right often that's the level of confession this is not what we're talking about when we talk about confession here david says i've sinned against you and you alone he was broken because it broke god And unless confession breaks our heart with how we have broken God with sin, we'll go back to it. I've sinned against you, and you only. Have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? I disappointed you, Father, in your sight. Here it is. He's agreeing. So you are right. The power of confession. You're right. If we do not agree with God the confession is meaningless, we'll go back to the same old. We do it all the time. You are right in your verdict. Verdict, it's a legal action. Next week, it's going to be my last of the sixth part on prayer. Because prayer is fundamentally a legal action between you and God. We often make it an emotional thing. It's not. It's a legal action. And when you approach it as a legal action, you'll see answers to prayer. Okay, let's do this again. You, you only. I've sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right. I'm agreeing with you your verdict and justified when you judged me that's called agreeing with god when he shows you you okay and i think that's really big so i I think i've punched that home a c t what do you think t stands for t stands for thanksgiving thanksgiving okay here we go thanksgiving and i don't mean thanksgiving turkey um, we're talking Thanksgiving, and I don't have to spend a lot of time in Thanksgiving. After you confess, start giving thanks. Thanksgiving is one of the strongest measures of faith, to believe he heard you and has forgiven you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Note that part, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you. So you know his will. You don't have to guess it. This is God's will for you. And why give thanks? Because your heart has been set free. You've just brought adoration. You've just agreed with him on confession. Now thank him because you're free. Thank him because you're free. Man, that should, Pastor Trish, that should get you up dancing because he has set you free. Whom the son has set free, finish it, is free indeed. So rejoice in your freedom. Rejoice in the in the liberty that God is granting you today. And we give thanksgiving. So take time to give him thanks. Give him thanks. He, he enjoys you coming and saying thank you. And express your thanksgiving. Let's go to the last one. And S stands for? Supplication. Supplication. And so Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer, petition with thanksgiving present your requests to god we don't stop short just after thanking him now we come to the petition part now we come to the supplication part this is where we ask and again next week i'm going to actually spend the the whole week on this uh because the, the, the approach i think um needs to be really clarified how how the biblical approach to god needs to be clarified instead of just pondering it and stewing over it in every situation, by prayer and petition, you do need to come and ask. The spirit of thanksgiving, we just finished that, so you've already got thanksgiving in place. Now you bring your request before God. I want to tell you what the word supplication breaks down into the three meanings. It means this. To intercede, to petition, to brood. Okay, right, let's look at these. Intercede, we stand on behalf and pray. Petition, We ask brood. I want to talk about brood just for a second, because when I think of brooding, it's usually not in the positive. When I think of brooding, I think of somebody's brooding and it's, you know, like get over it. Right. I want to talk just for a second about this, because I think we understand these more than we understand the word brood in supplication to offer supplication. Brooding here means deep passion to offer it with the heart of the father that you have brought your desire into alignment with his desire is where you find yourself weeping over prayer. This is where you find yourself grieving in the moments of prayer. This is where you groan. Your voice takes on anxiousness. Your spirit cries out to God. You call on his name. Where does that come from? Now, you can do that and just have mock and not be real. It could be a culture, you know, you just end up raising your voice, but it really doesn't mean anything. But brooding is a part of it. It's where you feel what he feels. You begin to feel. Now, we, if we were to go back to that scripture in Psalms where David spoke, that's exactly where David was when he was doing this. David was feeling the heart. He broke God's heart. God had poured so much on David, raised him up to be this great king, given him so many kingdoms to do what? Commit adultery. To kill a man, to commit adultery. And David felt it. He, he entered into this brooding. His heart broke because he broke God's heart. Friends, if we remain emotionless in our prayers, there's a strong tendency that we will gravitate back into the same old again. And they won't carry the gravity they need to carry the brooding the place of supplication is where we feel what he feels break my heart with what breaks yours god it's an outgrowth that comes from thanksgiving and then after you begin to thank god for these things your heart becomes comes broken as you begin to move into the place of petition and intercession your heart breaks because you see how god's heart is broken when you cry out for healing You cry out not simply because you want to fix a problem. You cry out because God has done so much to provide for that healing. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. And and that healing brought all that upon him. It breaks my heart, oh God. When we see somebody who's not following Christ Jesus and we pray for their salvation, we begin to cry, we begin to weep, we begin to feel for it. Why? Because he rose from the dead and he conquered death and he conquered spiritual death. And that person's still locked into spiritual death. And so our hearts break because he feels it. He feels the lostness of that person. He said to Peter, He says, I'm not willing that one would perish. He said, If the 99 are found, go after that one. And that's the heart of the father. He's the prodigal father, or he's the father of the prodigal son who's watching every day for that son to return. That's the heart. And may we not take the heart of the elder who is calloused to the compassion of a father that is supplication and again more about that next week but again we come faith let's just wrap it up faith we need prayer with faith faith is the inner conviction inner assurance in other words you can see it even though you can't but you see it for the here and now you just see it with outer manifestation Faith, if you don't do anything about it, it's really not faith. Because I see it, I now do this. Because I see it, I do that. That's faith. Hebrews 11. And then when you go into prayer, pause. Be still and know that I am God. Bring adoration before him. Bring his name before him. Begin to praise him for who he is. Then flow into the confession. Confession, not simply, oh, God, a bad word slipped out. Confession is, I agree with what you're showing me. I agree with what you're saying. You are just. You are righteous. And I agree. I come into agreement. And so I writ. I, I come against that. Be gone. I cast that down in, in your name because I agree with you. And I thank you, Lord. T, I thank you. Because I am free. And then, Lord, now I ask. Here's the things that, remember, prayer is fundamentally is praying that God's will would be done on earth. That's basically when we are praying, he has put it into a place of agreement where we are able to come into agreement that his will would be done. So it's earthly license for heavenly interference. So when I begin to supplicate, when I pray and I begin to ask, I'm simply praying his will be done. Now, I don't use those words. I don't say your will be done in that cop-out. And I don't. I, I begin to specify what that will is. And then in that, that supplication, my heart broods, my heart's filled with compassion as I pray before him. So let me pray for you before we do this. So Father in heaven, I thank you, God, that you care so much. You've not left us just to to ask something that it would just be a discipline of our life, just to strengthen us, make us better men and women, but you really care to answer the prayers and you want us to pray aright. You want us to pray with effectiveness. There is powerful prayer, and Jesus, you modeled it in everything you did and said. God, help us to be likewise following your steps, to be men and women and teenagers and children who are powerful in prayer. Give us the kind of faith of the inner assurance with outer manifestation to believe all that you have planned. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.